0: Presented by T Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today.
1: This is the Jake Brown Show here on CBS Radio's Play.it, iTunes, and Spotify. You can follow me at Jake Brown Radio, follow the show at Jake Brown Show, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, all of that jazz. The NBA season is here. Um, but streetball really is year-round. I mean, weather-wise on the East Coast is about to come to an end here, but I had to bring on a guy that I've been trying to get on for a while and one of my favorite streetballers of all time. It is Grayson the Professor. Boucher on the line with us now. Professor, what's going on, man?
0: Hey, what's happening, man? Thanks for having me on.
1: It's it's good to have you. Um, Obviously, we all – the Admiral Mixtape Tour was legendary. People who don't know it really aren't basketball fans. Uh, from the 2000 you were not you were on there till what 2011 was it uh
0: 2010 2010
1: yeah. um yeah. and it all started we, we go back to 2003 2003 2004 um, in Portland where you you show up at a tryout and take us through that day and that process of how uh, you got signed by m1
0: yeah so it was in uh, the summer of 2003 I was a big fan of And one at the time, I'd seen the first, I think, four or five mixtapes. And uh, I loved the movement. And then this was the second season of the ESPN show. They were having a contest nationwide for um, who would be, you know, quote, unquote, the next streetball legend or the next player to sign with that one. But they wanted somebody who was undiscovered. So they hosted a tryout uh, before every game that they had on on this, like, 33-city tour. So when they came to Portland... Um, naturally, as a fan, I just wanted to go see a, an awesome game, you know, just go hang out, check it out. Mm-hmm. So I drove up an hour from my hometown of Kaiser, Oregon, with my brother, and uh, we went to check out the game, and I, I noticed they were having a trial beforehand. Now, I didn't know that they were having, it was like a nationwide survivor-based contest at the time, but I decided to give it a shot just to have some fun, because I know that I like to emulate that same kind of style, and I was a flashy player. And so next thing I know, they asked me to come in and play against the N1 team after the crowd got excited at the open run. And then during the game, the actual game that went down at the Rose Garden where the Blazers play, the crowd got excited on a few different possessions during that game. And then afterwards, they asked me to come on tour of them to compete in this contest. And so I ended up staying on there for like three months. And then I think it was like August of that summer um, – we had the final game in Linden, New Jersey, mm-hmm. which uh, one of my teammates was from at the time, and then I ended up winning the contract.
1: The, begin- so, um, the beginning of there, I mean, w- was it difficult when you first got on and, and with your new teammates and a different style and, and all that? Take us through that process.
0: Yeah, you know, for me, I, I just feel like it was it was sort of meant to happen because there was a lot of different things that happened that transpired that I couldn't duplicate, you mm-hmm. know, like... I got on there, and I feel like I was playing with professionals who were probably above my head at that point because I had only played one year of junior college, Mm -hmm. and I didn't even get a whole lot of playing time. So I improved a whole lot in the span of, like, a couple months and then went straight to that tryout. So um, adjusting to the style of play was a little different, but that came in more so on year two when I was actually on the N1 team because for me growing up in Oregon, uh, there wasn't a whole lot of dunkers. Like, there, there was guys that could dunk, but... Not guys who could, who could jump like, like my teammates, you know, who were like world class athletes. So I had to get used to like getting, you know, after I was shaking my defender, you know, in a basket, like throwing an alley to somebody of that caliber. And then I also just had to get used to the, the pace of the game. You know, like when we play now, the game is targeted towards like fast breaks, isos and dunks. Like that's, that's what we're looking to just entertain the crowd to the fullest. So I had to get used to just. M- molding sort of my game, like I already have flashy, st- flashy style of play, but I had to mold it more towards that style as opposed to just getting the easiest basket.
1: The professor on the line here, Professor Twelve, is where you find him on Twitter, Prof- uh, Global Hooper on Instagram, and subscribe to his YouTube, uh, Professor Live, there. Um, the notion of of streetball guys not playing defense what do you, what do you say to that and the, and the people saying oh they give them this uh, I mean I've seen guys come and lock you down on defense and you just get around them what, what do you think of that notion of people saying they don't play defense
0: Well, it's definitely false, but uh, I I do understand to their benefit I understand where they're coming from because <clears throat> if somebody is absolutely dominated like say somebody gets three moves put on them. Mm-hmm. and then that, and that player scores, if you're watching a highlight, you have to say one of two things. You either say, that person sucks, or, or is the, the player was that good. He was able to do it against that competition. So it's, it's one of the two things I think people normally take that out and just be like, oh, well, this guy was a bum. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think when you, when you watch a whole tape where it almost looks like video game style where like moves are being put on players, boom, 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 and next thing you know they're driving and it was a perfectly timed alley you could start to think it was fake because you don't see that in any other realm of basketball. But what, what they don't realize is, what the viewer doesn't realize is, or I should say the common viewer who's seeing it for the first time, is that, like, we, we focus, like, we perfected the craft at playing, being, like, built off entertainment. So, like, when I practice, I practice hitting somebody with, like, three or four moves. You know, that's, yeah. what, that's what I actually work on. And the dunkers work on timing it so that by the time we're heading toward the basket, they can catch the lob. And and we play people all over the world. Like, there's not one level of basketball player that we haven't played. We played NBA players. We played uh, D1 college basketball players. We played D1 pros. Um, Recently, last year, I was in China playing at the CBA, top China league. Hmm. Um, All over the world. So, so, yeah, I mean, it's one thing if I'm playing some kids after a camp, like having a good time, and I put a clip of that on Instagram. But, you know, normally we play professionals year-round.
1: And... Uh, you enter this, and let's be real. You, I think, were the only white guy in the An One mixtape tour, if I'm not mistaken. You're the, you're the short white guy in there. Uh, you had to have battle some smack talk and people doubting you on this tour. Would t- what was that experience like? Of maybe the the smack the smack talk coming at you, and just kind of having to prove people wrong throughout that the first couple of years, at least.
0: For sure. I mean, I'd say it's almost still the same today. I mean, I have a lot more support now, but, like, for players play me, it's, it's still almost – I'm always in, like, an underdog situation. I think it's just based on the way I look, you know. I look young. They they tend to think white guy equals a certain kind of play, <laughs> yeah. things of that nature. But when I first was trying out, um, to me, there, it wasn't as much pressure because I was just so happy to be on there. So, like, if I would have played two games and then went home back to school, that still would have been a cool thing to me. Mm-hmm. So I didn't – I didn't get into the contest the, the summer of 2003. I didn't, I didn't enter the contest trying to win a contract. I really just went to the game to have a good time. I found out there was a tryout. I played and then when they asked me to come on tour, however long that duration would have went would have been good enough because I was already going to go back to school and pick up where I had left off. So I just considered a blessing and, and, uh, I didn't I felt maybe some pressure because they were packed arenas and I never played against that many people but as far as the smack talking and everything I know I, I knew that was part of the game and I was just happy if I could perform at all you know
1: What was your plan if if this didn't work out because the N1 mixtape tour kind of changed your life it did change your life uh was there a plan B if that didn't work out
0: Uh the plan was to go back to school um go back to Juco that following year My coach had made it clear to me that I was going to be the starting point had to come back at junior college and Really just, you know, get my education and, and try to pursue. I, I mean, I, ball was life for sure at that mm-hmm. moment. So I was still going to try to push the b-ball dream. It just would have been a different life.
1: How thankful were you of that opportunity? I mean, you, you say the <laughs> professor people know who you are. I mean, usually uh, you don't hear that. That opportunity changed everything, right?
0: Oh, totally, man. I mean, for me... You know, at 18 years old, it was incredible. It was sort of like a dream come true. It was hard for me to even wrap my mind around it because one day I'm watching the mixtapes and, like, you know, I really wasn't, um, you know, a fan of the movement. And the next thing I know, I'm calling these guys my teammates and traveling eight months out of the year playing for a living, whereas I had played Juco just the year prior and only played five minutes a game. Hmm. <laughs> so yeah. it was a to wrap my head around. I don't think I was thankful as I should have been, but I really was – I was definitely enjoying myself, that's for sure.
1: <laughs> now, you obviously get the nickname, Grayson, because you took guys to school, but was there a single person or a group that that originated from, or was everyone just saying that, and you're like, screw it, I'm going with it?
0: Oh, yeah, so um, so the the nickname uh, came partially because I look a certain way. I think Duke Tango thought I looked like a professor. When I came out in 2003, I had my hair combed to the side a little bit, yeah. A little longer hair, so I think it, it was kind of like the look identification, and then he said, later, because I was schooling people. Mm-hmm. But no, there was no prior big man before that. So that that really just came up. That was out of uh, Duke's, uh, MC DuTango's creative mind, if you will.
1: <laughs> Who did you model your game after? I know I know you, you've said in the past Allen Iverson was one of the guys.
0: Yeah, I mean, a lot of guys that were on the mixtape, too. Skip to my Lou, um, I took Elements, of hot sauce game. Hmm um i definitely yeah alan iverson um growing up i was a huge michael jordan fan um tim hardaway i loved his game the killer crossover um the original killer crossover so i i would i there wasn't one person i emulated my game after um i would i would pick a lot of pieces from different people's games and try to incorporate it but i think alan iverson initially was the one who inspired me to um really expand my game as far as handles because I emulated his crossover one summer. I think I was in sixth grade, and actually that's actually what I was first known for. I was known as this short white kid with handles because I could do the Iverson crossover.
1: Did you ever get comparisons to white chocolate Jason Williams?
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, people still do. I, if, I, if I was to read my comment threads on Instagram or YouTube, I would say every other video, every other post said something about j will white chocolate for sure have you guys <laughs> played each other? No, we never shared the court together he was at he was at our game my my first year on the l team in two thousand and four he came to our game at Madison square garden as just a spectator but he should play um
1: can we arrange uh, yeah, this would, this needs to happen oh, I, was, I was saying can, can we arrange this this needs to happen
0: oh I would love to man you know it's funny enough. There was about two or three events I was actually supposed to compete with him in where he was supposed to either play on our team or play against us, but he never showed for all three of them. It was funny. Mm-hmm. It was like a couple handling one games and then a couple ball-up games, but for some reason he never came. But, um, you know, definitely would be humbling and uh, an honor to share the court with him at some point if, if that ever happens.
1: Do you feel like you could take him to school?
0: Uh, I mean, if, here's the thing. Like when I play in our games, Mm-hmm. It's always slated more towards like an all star game than it is actually a an all out battle. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. like if I play against somebody, it, it's always for like a few possessions here or there. And I don't and the way I am now, I don't I don't do personal matchups like, Oh, I'm mm-hmm. about to buff it. you know, you know, when I play, my goal is for the audience to be extremely entertained and, and really to go away really remembering like an awesome performance. Mm-hmm. Um But as far as taking him to school, I mean, you're talking about a guy who won a championship and played in the NBA like 10-plus years, so I wouldn't say take him to school. I I think I'd get some moves off, and I think we would make for an incredible show.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, I really would like – I mean, that would go viral easily. Uh, That would get millions of views. I mean, you had the Spider-Man video go crazy. I think you versus White Chocolate would probably break the Internet. Uh, so we'll see. He, he's, the problem is I, I don't mean, think he's hey, on social he's, media. A blessing, you know? Yeah, I don't think he's on social media, so he's harder to find than a guy like you. Again, the professors on the line here on the Jake Brown Show on Play.it, iTunes, and Spotify, I mean, Skip to My Lou, Hot Sauce, Spida. My favorite part of those two is when a guy like you or whoever would pull off a move that was just insane. They would just end it. And thro- 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 they threw the ball in the air. Now, did they just end the game? What was the deal with that? I know they would stop everything. The video would stop. Everyone would go crazy. Was that game over then?
0: <laughs> no, the game never ended. What would happen is if somebody fell, then they would have to sit out the game. Or if somebody got dunked on, mm-hmm. they would have to sit out. And and the funny thing was, is that wasn't even like a formal written rule or anything. It's just in the culture... If you got embarrassed that bad, like, it was going to be – they were going to make it known. So we literally would stop the game. We, t- we took it in our own hands to do that and tell the person to either go sit down or do, like, uh, an acted-out replay <laughs> or wh- whatever the case. But it was just – it was all out of fun, like, in that time in the culture. But, now the game wouldn't end. It, we would just take, like, a little 30-second uh, or one-minute – interlude to, to celebrate it, yeah. <laughs> and have a good
1: time. It's funny because you watch the videos and it's like that happens and then sometimes it cuts off and you're like, wow, did they really just end the game over that? Uh, so now so now we know. Uh, now you're on the Ball Up Tour. Tell us what this tour is about. I know you're traveling the world and how it is a little bit different than the And One Tour. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, the Ball Tour, I mean, it, it has, uh, you know, originally it was founded with at least six or seven of, of the guys who were on hand one toward the later years and then it was combined with six seven younger guys um but it was it was really the same style of play it just wasn't on espn you know and one had the espn viewership and it aired almost every day so immediately you got slated you know when it went to fox sports you're not getting near the viewership um but ball up was always aimed to become uh, a lifestyle brand and um branding really that same similar style of basketball whereas and one was more centered in the clothing and the mixtape tour just helped market the clothing so with ball of the touring is more the main entity but it's, it's the same style of basketball and uh we still we travel the world i don't know how many countries we've done but a lot and uh still moving so it's a blast
1: what country has been for you the toughest competition or the best ball is in your mind
0: I would say the United States. <laughs> yeah. For sure. If we're talking outside of the United States, um, it's hard to say. You know, it's hard to say which European country it would be. I feel like it would be somewhere over there, um, somewhere in Europe or Eastern Europe. But um, it's really hard to say. That what I've come to know is there's a lot of great basketball players, no matter where you're at in the world. Like, you go to China and play the CBA teams, they're – they're just like the league, is maybe a little bit slower, not quite as explosive. I mean, you go to Europe and you play the top Division One teams over there, it's almost like the NBA. Um, we were in South America a few years ago, and I played a group who was dang near as good as Europe, you know, hmm. a bunch of D1 pros. We actually lost one game. Hmm. So, um, you know, there's great players all over. It's really hard to say which one.
1: Who's handles in the NBA right now? Obviously, you have to watch Steph Curry and be marveled by what he does. He's a guy who would thrive probably on the streetball scene. But who else in the NBA do you watch and marvel after that uh, – not model your game after, but you watch and uh, you enjoy their handles?
0: Oh, for sure. I love Kyrie Irving's game. Mm-hmm. Uh, Steph Curry, obviously the two most elite guards in the league. Both a blast to watch. Um I like watching Jamal Crawford who's a friend mm. I like watching uh, a lot of players you know I don't just watch just for him han- even though that's what I do I-, I just like watching great basketball for me it's not always centered in handles mm-hmm. like Jeremy Lin's a friend of mine I always try to support him um, I like watching LeBron obviously best player in the league <laughs> um, so I-, I like watching a lot of great players
1: criminally underrated Brandon Jennings has some handles
0: oh yeah I think Brandon Jennings is a great player
1: have you ever have you ever thought, Grayson, about um, doing those tournaments? They have a lot of these tournaments now, like the TBT tournament. Uh, it was like a million-dollar prize. Have you ever joined one of those teams and thought about doing one of those basketball tournaments?
0: No. No, because at this point in life, for me, if I'm going to touch the court, it's, it's going to be business. You know, those those are, those are games aren't slated towards entertainment. Like some of the TBT games, look like nobody in the crowd, you know. Mm-hmm. So for me, if, I, if I'm taking the court, it's to put on a show is not to compete in a tournament to win, like, a cash prize to be in. Like, like with my whole career, funny enough people would never know this, but nobody ever asked me to play in the Drew League. Nobody ever asked me to play in the TBT. No, People don't ask me to play in tournaments. For me, it, it's all about entertaining the crowd, and it's all about, like, pe- people don't ask me to play in those because they don't really think, like, I would benefit. So it, it's more of an underdog thing. Like, like I was telling you earlier, you asked me about that. Like, I'm still an underdog. You know, when I play top-level pros, they question whether I can hang. And then when I do, that's that's where, you know, you end up on uh, YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, my thing has always been slated off being an underdog and then entertaining within that realm. But as far as, like, those tournaments and everything, like, for me it's more about business. Like, if I'm not – if there's not a fee to go entertain people, like, I'm not even interested.
1: Who is the best player that you took to school that you can say?
0: The best player? Oh man! Um, took this- the school, meaning like got one playoff, like one highlight off, or you mean
1: like you broke their ankles?
0: Oh, gotcha. Um, maybe maybe Daryl Armstrong when he was with the Magic back in the day. Hmm,
1: that's a good one. Um, have you ever actually broken someone's ankles?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that I have. I think uh, was it last Christmas, a couple Christmases ago. I don't know. Some dude, I don't know if he strained his Achilles or something. Hmm. <laughs> he had to call nine one one. I know. Really? Yeah. Wow.
1: That, that's that's gonna be the worst moment of their life. The professor here on the Jake Brown Show, Professor 12, Twitter, Global Hooper, Instagram, and Professor Live on YouTube. You're 32. I have to imagine maybe when you get to 40, 45, you're going to wear down a little bit. I I know you do some clinics, you teach some kids and stuff like that. What is the plan for you uh, when your body says you can't do this anymore?
0: Well, if we can go to 45, that would be incredible. (laughs)
1: Um, Jason Williams is 40, still going, so. Yeah, that's true.
0: That's true. You know, a lot of people are still Going strong Mm -hmm. in their late 30s and 40s. So, yeah, I would say, you know, right now I do all things basketball. So, like, you want me to go, you know, motivational speak? I'll do that. You want me to put on a clinic? We'll do that. You want a camp? We'll do that. You want an exhibition where I'm just playing one on one for an hour? We'll do that. You want me to go play an exhibition five on five game? We'll do that. You want me to go train an NBA player? We'll do that. You want me to go act? We'll do that. We got web series year round, Instagram. Year round, so right now it's like it's really centered in content, and entertainment with basketball. But I think that there's always room to be involved with the game aside from just playing it. So I, I, I kind of see it more towards the entertainment aspect, but then also always dabbling and teaching the game and speaking about it. All
1: right, NBA is underway this week. Uh, you're an NBA fan. Who do you like? Obviously, everyone's going to pick the Warriors. I'm picking the Warriors. Cavs. Uh, who do you like this year?
0: Oh, to win the championship? Yeah, I could see the Warriors. Cavs repeat i can -hmm. see that um if i'm gonna pick one team to win it all yeah it's tough to say i kind of think the Cavs are gonna repeat honestly really yeah
1: Hmm. um last one one player right now um if it had to happen that you would love to go one-on-one against that you haven't yet
0: You know, to be honest, I don't even – those, those aren't even on my mind. Like, hmm. I, I don't care. Like, like if, if NBA players playing our games or get involved, I'm always like, oh, it's a blessing. That's cool. But I don't – I've never been the dude to be like, man, I need to bust that dude out. Like, I, I don't think like that. Like, for me, if a kid can smile and have a great time wherever I'm playing, then that's awesome. If I can be innovative and come up with new moves to captivate the culture, then that's awesome. If I can do, you know, make entertaining web series that people marvel at, then that's great. But, like, I've never been the type of dude to like, try to – Target players like, you know, for me, if an NBA player even wanted to get down with anything I got going on, I'm like, oh, that's humbling. That's a blessing. Like, I don't, yeah, plan on one, none, because I never even really thought about it.
1: Do you get an one free clothing for life? I'd imagine.
0: No, I have no contact with the company and one. ironic, believe it or not. Because <laughs> I heard they're but,
1: bringing know, their stuff back. I've heard they're rebranding and bringing it back
0: never went anywhere you know it's, it's in walmart right now so true but and one that the brand has never gone anywhere hmm. um so so it's, it's still out there currently it's moving heavy at walmart but as far as the you know, street ball side of things i don't see them i don't see them bringing anything back but um yeah i don't have any currently i don't have any contacts with the company
1: All right, there it is, Grayson, the Professor Boucher. Follow him. Get to him on Instagram. He's got hilarious videos there. And YouTube, Global Hooper, Professor Live on YouTube. Professor, thanks for coming on the Jake Brown Show. And next time you're in New York, I would love to have you in the building.
0: Oh, Thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate it. All right, man. Take care.
1: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what?